0: So stand to your feet. We're going to read from uh, Acts. And, and I've, I've used this scripture before. It's been a while. But I think it it's. Um, I just think it fits so well. And I'm going to pull out some things of it. That I think are really important. Acts chapter 11. Verses, starting in verse 19. It says. Now to those who have been scattered by the persecution. That broke out when Stephen was killed. They traveled as far as uh, Phoenicia. Phoenicia. Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about Jesus. Listen, somebody has to tell somebody else that nobody's telling. I want you to think about it for a second. In our culture, in your culture, the, the sphere of influence you have, they were just doing what they knew how to do. It said they 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 went, they were scattered by persecution, and they talked to the people they knew that were like them. They went to other Jews. Like, hey man, this thing about Jesus. But some of them decided to talk to non Jewish people. That's good. They went out of their cultural reference point, they went out of their comfort zone, and they went, hey, wait a second, we think this gospel is for more than people that just look like us. We think this gospel is more than people that think like us. And so you see a transition right here in Acts chapter 11, after the persecution they traveled, some people were talking just to the Jews, but some of them, however, went from Cyprus to Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Thank you, God, that people are willing to do that. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The news of this reached a church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were, first, were called Christians first in Antioch. Now I'm going to give you a little background scripture here with Saul, who we know as Paul. In Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 19, it goes like this. Saul went several days with the disciples in Damascus. This was after his conversion on his way to Damascus. He, he was blinded by a light, and, and Jesus speaks to him, and everybody with him is in a panic. And he says, why do you persecute me? Who are you? I'm Jesus. And he's converted at that moment. He goes to a man's house that he's instructed to go to and lays hands on him. And it says things like, I don't know if God gave him cataracts or what happened, but it's like scales fell from his eyes. And he started preaching. He started preaching. So in Acts chapter 9, it says, Saul spent several days in Damascus with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues. That Jesus is the son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? They knew why he was coming. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. We all need ingenuity in our lives, don't we? Bro, how are we going to fix this? Jump in the basket, man. We're going to let you down. Think about the chaos that was happening in that moment. When he came to Jerusalem... He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. See a pattern in his life here? When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Father, we thank you for your word today. God, I'm praying. Lord, me standing up here talking is not an adequate enough vessel to change anyone's life, but your Holy Spirit on these words. Can they make an impact for eternity? So I pray you would empower them, God. To change us. Transform us by the renewing of your word this morning. And Lord, let us leave here better. More like Jesus. More willing to do his work. And it's in his name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. All right, you may be seated. This is a fascinating story in the in the sense that you see a man converted and his life flips upside down he he has a drastic change in mentality he is on his own volition going to the high priest at one time getting letters to persecute people that follow Christ he is not being solicited to do this he's doing it on his own and so on the way to accomplish this mission he's already you could almost say presided over <clears throat> The death of a disciple. And and everybody is fearing him. He's on his way to carry out this mission. God blinds him. And he hears the voice of Jesus. And he's converted in that moment. He goes to Damascus. He begins to preach in Damascus. So what you find out was the skill that Saul, who we now know as Paul, who wrote two-thirds in the New Testament. The skill he had in knowing the law uh, before he was converted is the skill he will use now to convert people to Christianity. He can argue like nobody can argue for the sake that Jesus is the Messiah. He could take everything he knew before and superimpose Jesus on it. And now it all makes sense. He knows all of this historical things that God put into place and prophecy and all this stuff. And now he takes Jesus Who now he's had an encounter with and absolutely is 100% convinced that he's the Messiah. And he superimposes that on all the Old Testament that we know. And now he's got an irrefutable argument. And the reason I know it's irrefutable is because every time he preaches it and argues it, they want to kill him. Think about being so effective at your argument that now people want you dead because they can't disagree with you. You're like, I know I'm winning. Everybody wants me dead. <laughs> Think about being able to argue like that. The, 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 in Damascus, they're like, whoa, 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 he can't keep. Nobody can argue with him. The guy is, he's pulling stuff out that nobody can argue with. What's the solution? We'll just get rid of him. Then after that, he goes into Jerusalem. He gets space to do the same thing. And they try the same thing. So you see him using... That same intelligence. You know, know, when you get saved, God doesn't throw the things that you already know away. He's, He's sanctifying the things that you already know. So now the things that you already know, he can use for what he wants you to do. He's not asking you to throw your history away. He's asking you to use it for a new purpose now. He's asking you to like, hey man, I've been through this. I know what it's like and I can tell you how it goes now. Well, you're a Christian now. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. But I wasn't one time. Could you imagine Paul being able to say all that? Imagine him going into a prison and saying, hey man, I know what it's like to put people in prison. I know what it's like. I know, man, I know I did all You did all of that? Yeah. So God doesn't erase our history. He sanctifies it. He uses it. For his glory. And so now all that Paul knew before. While he was Saul. All the study he did. All the upbringing. All the studying under some of the best people around. Now God is using that to make him. Give him an irrefutable argument for Jesus as the Messiah. But he's in trouble. He's in Damascus. They're trying to kill him. Comes to Jerusalem. Nobody believes him. Could you imagine? Could you imagine the guy that. Just a while ago was trying to kill everybody you knew. Now he's coming back preaching Jesus. You're like bro that's like cheese on a mousetrap. I'm not taking it. I'm not doing that. You're not hooking me on that thing. So he's got a little bit of difficulty. He goes into Jerusalem. And their and they're, and they're hands out. Like hold on. Hold on. I've said this to a couple of people. Um, don't be frustrated with people's. When people don't believe that you have changed. For people that come to Christ and are new to the faith, sometimes we think that everybody's going to be clapping. Now we should clap in the church, but sometimes we walk out of the church and nobody claps. And we're like, well I've changed, I'm such a, a," and we make these proclamations about how, well I'm, I'm, I'm a nice guy now. It's only been 12 hours. I'm not really convinced you're a nice guy yet. Now call me back in 10 years. So what I, what I tell people do is don't make so many proclamations, just show them what's going on. And what we, what we inadvertently do is we make a bunch of proclamations instead of just proving out his grace in our life. We say, oh, I'm not that guy anymore. And then everybody goes, yeah, well, we think you are. Now, what helps that, what what there's a benefit to, is that it's beautiful to have somebody come along beside you and vouch for you, isn't it? No, 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 they've really changed. So, what we find here is that Paul has Barnabas, comes alongside him, and says, No, wait, wait. Like, I've been around this guy a little bit. I know, I, I've seen him in Damascus. I've. He had this encounter with Jesus, it's real, he's totally changed, I've seen what's happened, and and we, need, we want this guy on our team, this guy's for real, and I'm going to vouch for him. And Barnabas was able to take Paul and pull him in to the apostles, and then they gave him some free reign in Jerusalem, he starts preaching. Then he gets in trouble in Jerusalem, and they try to kill him, so the disciples wrap him up and ship him off to Tarsus where he's from. Now, scholars believe he was in Tarsus could be up to 10 years. Now, just in case, just in case you are making the mistake of superimposing 2018 on way back then, they weren't, they weren't eye-messaging each other. They weren't like, hey man, did you, see, did you see Paul on Facebook the other day? He's killing it in Tarsus. There wasn't any of that. And so he's in Tarsus. Scholars believe that uh, he, he was persecuted in Tarsus. I've read accounts where they believe that he possibly could have been shunned by his own family in Tarsus. That there was a lot of things that happened over those 10 years in Tarsus. And Paul was faithful and he preached and he preached and he preached and he preached. But the church isn't just about Paul. It's about some other things. And so what happens is... While Paul is in Tarsus, what I read to you at the beginning, there's people that went to Antioch and started preaching to non-Jewish people. So all of a sudden, the word gets back to Jerusalem. Antioch's blowing up. Man, the grace of God's just crushing it in Antioch. And, and people are coming to the Christ, and, and this is an amazing thing. And so they look at Barnabas, and they say, hey, we want to send you up there. Now, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. This is not not getting sent to a terrible church. This is getting sent to a rock star church. They can afford to pay you. They're not arguing. It's growing. Barnabas gets this opportunity. It's like, yeah! So they say, Barnabas, we want you to go to Antioch. Check it out. So Barnabas goes to Antioch. And there's a great description of Barnabas that said he was... Full of the Spirit of God. He was a good guy. You know, being full of the Spirit of God calls you to see things that other people don't see. And I'm not talking about weird visions at night. I'm talking about you're aware of things that other people don't notice. So watch watch what he says when he gets there. It's really awesome that Barnabas is seeing things differently. Then maybe we would see him. He says the news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done. He was glad. One of the things that uh that I'm that I think we should be really, really careful about is you notice that it doesn't say Barnabas got to Antioch and he realized there was a guy there named Jim, and Jim was unbelievable. And Jim preached better than anybody else. And the reason the church was growing so well is because Jim was there. And Jim was an excellent manager. And Jim was all this. And Jim had this. And Jim had that. He didn't say that. He said he gets to Antioch. And he was excited to see what the grace of God had done in that community. You know, finding out through this building process. And, and even in other And even in other realms outside of construction and like project managing, government work, all kinds of things, there's contractors and then there's subcontractors, right? you know what I'm talking about? The contractor, the general contractor is responsible for everything. He's responsible for the whole project. The building part, the, the land development part, getting all the getting all the people together. He's he's responsible for the cost. He's responsible for running over budget or under budget or overtime and under. He's responsible for all that stuff. If the project gets done, it's because of the general contractor. They call him the GC. In in, in government work, I think he's called the primary. It's the it's the it's the guy that's responsible for getting it done. Under that person or that company. Is subcontractors. They're responsible for their little. They're part of it. You'll have a subcontractor for the for the HVAC. Somebody give glory to God for air conditioning. You have a you have a subcontractor for the roof. Thank God for a roof that doesn't leak. You have a subcontractor for the floor. I'm glad we don't have to have a dirt floor. You have a subcontractor for the electrical the stuff. So you can turn the lights on, even if we don't use them very much. <laughs> you, you, can have a, you have a subcontractor for, for all these things. The, where it gets messed up is when the subcontractor starts to dictate to the contractor how things should operate. And I can tell you being around enough general contractors, they hate that. So what happens is you can have a circumstance as long as every subcontractor runs in their lane and does what they're supposed to do, then the project will keep going forward. But as soon as a subcontractor gets out of line or starts to exert more authority or starts to take more credit or starts to do all these things, then the whole project can get wonky. And part of the contractor's job is managing all those personalities. So what we need to remember is Jesus Christ is the contractor. So whenever we see a church doing great, it's not, it's not only because of the subcontractors. Yeah. It's not only because of the subcontractors. You, you don't say this. You don't say, well, the reason that church is growing is because the pastor preaches really well because that would be giving credit to one subcontractor. The whole project's working because of one subcontractor. You don't say, you don't say, well the reason the church is growing is because is because we have a media team that's better than anybody else. That's one subcontractor. What Barnabas recognized when he got there is what the is that the contractor was working. He got there and he realized that the grace of God was accomplishing great things. And so we as a church We benefit every time we come together from recognizing that this is working, but the reason it's working is because we have a good GC. Amen? Because there's been piles of people get together and ruin all kinds of things. So Barnabas recognizes grace at work, not just human hands. It's grace at work, not just personalities. It's grace at work, not just an organizational flowchart. It's grace at work, not just just some people's scheme to get together and and, and start a cult. It's not a multi-level marketing scam. It's the grace of God. And so we do well here to realize that what happens is the grace of God moves, and then we all run in our lanes... And God's, God's great commission happens. It goes forward. And so my prayer is all the time, God, when people walk in, let them recognize the grace of God first. Let them recognize that this is just a church of a bunch of people just doing what God has called. Listen, man, you're, you just, you're gifted to do that. Just do that. And the grace of God is evident. You're gifted to do that. Just do that. And the grace of God brings the results. So something we need to remember in the age of bright lights on the stage and dark lights over the people. We need to remember that it's the grace of God that was growing Antioch. It's the grace of God. So Barnabas was the guy that pointed that out. Man, I got there and the grace of God was at work. Now, the thing about this is, is that you know human nature as well as I know human nature. It's fun to take credit. Isn't it? I mean, we can be like, I mean, it's working. I've got a great team. I'm not going to mention their names. <laughs> times, oh, there's a great team behind me. Oh, there is? They're way behind me, but they're behind me. Thank you very much. <laughs> Barnabas does a thing That a lot of leaders can't do. And I've I've been a part of this. Not in this church. But I've been a part of this in other ministries. Where I see the head leader never making any space. Barnabas gets to Antioch. And realizes that this thing is blowing up because of the grace of God. And his thoughts go towards, I need to go get Saul. Why wouldn't you just stay there and ride it out? Why do you just stay there and take credit for it? Why don't, we just, why don't you just stay there and next time somebody comes, they could say, Barnabas is so great. No, his, his knee-jerk reaction is, I need to go find Saul. So the Bible says that he goes to Tarsus and looks for him. Now, he's, I believe that he's got some reasons to do that. Some scholars say, Let, let's go back to Saul. Saul was the best teacher People wanted to kill him because he was such a good arguer for Jesus. You don't get those in your church every day. He was so good at it that the church would grow and the people that were, he would infuriate people who were against Jesus so much that they'd want to kill him. And, and scholars believe that when Barnabas arrived, there was a great grace of God moving and the church was expanding, but there wasn't a whole lot of depth to it. They didn't have the Jewish history. They didn't have the old, all the Old Testament writings to be able to point back to prophecy. And they didn't have all these things. And so Barnabas realizes he gets to Antioch and sees the great grace of God at work. But then he sees what needs to happen. And he realizes that he's not the guy that can do it. Oh, somebody say amen for humility. How many times have we gotten into positions and the light is on us and we go, I got this only to fall right on our face because we didn't bring in the right person beside us. Oh, I could say something about marriage here, but I won't. (laughs) Yes, I will. (laughs) You do realize that by default, God has brought your spouse in to help you in areas that you can't do by yourself. And I'm not talking about making kids. I'm talking about... (laughs) And they were like, boy, oh man, I helped her out. Um, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, I'm talking about God put you together with someone, their husbands. He calls them your helpmate. So let them help. Yes. Yes. He caught. that's what the script, because what you see in marriages today, it's like, I'm doing my thing. You're doing your thing. And don't get over to my thing because I don't, because you can't be in my thing. No, 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 no. It's, it's our thing now. We're one together. And if I can't create the stage big enough to get my wife on it, then I'm not doing God's will. Because the reason, the reason I am where I am is because of her. Yes. Trust me. <laughs> I'm the most unorganized person you've ever met, but you would not have a clue about that because my wife is extremely organized and I get the benefit from that. Tell everybody all the time, man, if she looks good, I look better. <laughs> Tell them, I said, if you marry somebody that makes you look so good, it makes you look smart for marrying them. <clears throat> so what happens is, is Barnabas takes the risk of running and getting somebody better than him on the team. I'm going to go get Saul because he's the best teacher I've ever heard. These people need right now what he has. And I realize that I probably can't give it to them. And what crushes organizations and churches today is pastors and leaders who stay in positions and try to offer people what they can't give them instead of bringing people in and sharing the spotlight and benefiting everyone. That was a good place for an amen. That will help you at work. I can't be afraid of people that are better in me than thing in things. I can't be afraid of I can't be afraid if God puts a guy that teaches better than me beside me. I need to embrace it because if he brings those people along, it means we need it. And so he he puts the enough wisdom in Barnabas to go, wait a second, I need to go find him. I need to go find him. It's not about me. It's not about just me running this thing. It's not about me overseeing. I need to go find the guy we need right now. And so he runs off to Tarsus. Find Saul, brings it back. It says for a year they teach the people. It doesn't say they just have church. It says for a year they teach the people. Can you imagine those classes? Can you imagine meeting in that and hearing Hearing now Paul unpack the gospel in a way that nobody's ever unpacked it before. If I was Barnabas, I'd sit back and say, get him, boy. Man, you're, geez, just keep talking. You don't even need to say mine. This is amazing. But it all happened because he wasn't afraid to bring him along. He wasn't afraid to bring him along. So you cannot be afraid of the talent of the person God wants to help you with. We get so insecure when people that are better than us. We get we get so wrapped up in well are they are they going to are they going to be better than me and they might get a promotion are they going to be better than me or I've seen it happen in families with their kids even Your heart's desire should be that your kids are better than you. Jesus said, "Greater things will you do because I go to the Father." He didn't say, now listen all you bums, you'll never be that good. No, he said, I'm going to empower you by the Holy Spirit. And this gospel is going to rapidly expand across the whole world. And so when we look at our families, when we look at our kids and our spouses, we, we should be praying, Lord, make them better than me. Because I was with them, make them be better. I can hear Barnabas praying. I can, I can just empower Paul. You, you, Lord, I'm going to go get him from Tarsus. I'm praying that he comes with me. It would just empower him. Let him do what you've called him to do. This church needs him, these people need him. What if we prayed like that about the people around us in our jobs and in our families? I've said this, I don't know if I've said it out loud in a sermon, but I've said this to my kids, I've said it to our staff. One of my fears, and I don't know if it's a fear or what it is, but I think about it. Is at the end of my life, I wake up and realize that my wife could have been better off with somebody else. Has anybody ever thought about that? I think about that. So, Paul writes to the Ephesians. And he says, "Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, dressing them." The message paraphrased, dressing them, dazzling, wise, radiant with holiness. Blah 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 blah. All this beautiful language. And I think about that every time I do a wedding. I think about it every time. Every time my wife's yelling at me, I think about it. Every time um, I think about, it. she's not here today, and I would appreciate it if we don't talk about it after this. Um, I think about it, and I think, I think God. I want her to accomplish all that you've called her to accomplish because I'm with her, because I'm supporting her. I don't want to get to the end of this thing and find out she could have been something way better, but I didn't support her enough. I don't want to get to the end of this thing and find out my kids could have turned out way better, but it was just a lack of support from their father. I don't want to get to the end of this thing and find out because they were with me, it was, it hampered them instead of encouraging them. I want to get to the end of it and say, they were able to accomplish all that God called them to because you went out of your way to encourage them. So my, I'm, she's getting ready to go on her first overseas missions trip in November and and she was hesitant about it. She was just like, I don't know. I get, I get sick on traveling and I'm not sure. And I'm like, go. Go. Come on, go. I keep telling her, go. And the whole time I'm praying, Lord, help me. She'll be gone for a week. We're all going to die. And um, You can pray two things at the same time. So, so I'm thinking, go. You know, it would be much easier It'd be much easier to tell her to stay home. It'd be much easier. It'd be much easier. Uh, we have a whole bunch of employees in our business, and they're going to be calling me. That ain't good. I can already tell you that ain't good. Um, but the, So the issue is, it'd be much easier not to encourage people. It would have been much easier for Barnabas not to get Saul. It would be much easier just to ride it out. But evidence of the grace of God in our lives is is that when the stage gets bigger, we put more people on it. That we're not intimidated. We don't need all the credit. And when the spotlight shines, we don't just look at the light. We still look at the people. You know, I told the first service this, Pastor Don's in the the service now. And so, um, so this, this is how it it went. We started turning the lights down. Um, him and I would have this conversation about, about, uh, we turn the lights way down, and he would say things like, I can't see the people. And back then, I would say, oh, man, you just need to look through the lights. You'll learn. <laughs> well, what I'm figuring out is I'm approaching the age that he was, he, he was when he got here to this church. And now I'm asking for him to turn the lights up. <laughs> Not that my eyes are getting bad, but just it's just... So here's what I realize. Here's what I realize. As I realize, we're all enamored by the lights when they're shining on us. But it takes, it actually takes an effort to turn the light up on everybody else. Because what happens is, if you, if you only concentrate on the light that's shining on you. You can get blinded by it. Everybody else can seem insignificant. There's nobody else in the room. It's just me. I can turn these lights up on the stage where I can't see any single one of you. We can turn the lights down out there and it's just me doing what I'm doing and it's all good and everybody's clapping and I could. it's awesome. But it takes effort to turn the lights up on other people. You have to ask somebody to turn the light on on the crowd. Because it's not the way our society works. So Barnabas says, I'm going to go get him. We need him here. And I don't mind sharing the spotlight. Matter of fact, I don't mind sharing it to the point that he overtakes me in leadership. <laughs> they got that promotion. You helped them and you help them and you help them and you set them up and they got the promotion and now you're mad about it. Don't be mad. Just look for the next guy. All right, he got the promotion. Thank you, Lord. I set him up. I'm going to look for somebody else. We get so bitter when we feel like we got stepped over by somebody we trained. I'm going to say that again. We get so bitter when we feel like we get stepped over by somebody we trained. They're basically your offspring, and we're getting upset because they're successful. There's no recorded part of Scripture where Barnabas goes, Well, Paul's taken over. <laughs> they don't even recognize me on Pastor Appreciation anymore. I'm the first one here. No. No, it doesn't say anything like, matter of fact, matter of fact, even down to big disagreements later on on missionary trips, even down to big disagreements, you never hear Barnabas say, Shouldn't have done that with that guy. He was supportive the whole time. So here's my thing to you. Here's my thing. that You can't be threatened by the gift around you. Amen. You can't be threatened when the stage gets bigger. You've got to bring more people on it. You have to bring more people on it. So why don't you stand at your feet. The band's going to come. we got to wrap this up. I'm going to read down through a list of people. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. We've got three other, three other credentialed ministers here. <clears throat> Pastor Don who I've told you before basically raised me in the ministry there's at least three times that I can remember that he should have fired me and I would have fired me and he didn't and he let me grow up and he let me be here and let me stay and he let me mess up and come back mess up and come back mess up and come back and now we're here and because of his grace and mercy in my life this church experienced a transition that maybe one in one hundredth of a church's ever experienced so we didn't hit the ground running we never stopped running so, this building is a testimony of his grace and mercy in my life, and so Pastor Adams's been here since he was sixteen years old and is way better at a lot of things than I am. He can look at, He can look at systems and all those things and, and be able to pull things off that I would never be able to pull off and he 's more faithful than I am. he never says anything bad about anybody, and I always criticize everyone. Pastor Sam and Laura—they've been part of this church at some level for most of their life, and they were willing to come off the road uh, with kids, turn, take a part-time salary, and figure it out. And 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 literally every piece of technology in this ro- in this room and in this building he has his hands on, and he makes it happen week after week in his team. And and he says things to me sometimes in in abbreviations, and I don't know what he's talking about. And so. Um, and so we're going to be moving in this new building. He's got a great thing set up, and it's going to be beautiful. And they're just faithful over and over and over. Their whole family's here serving. There's people like Joe and Chantel Charette has been with me for 17 years and has never once came to me and said, dude, I can't do this anymore. Never once. And, the, and he, leads our, he leads our guest services. She leads the, our, our online ministry. And they're just the, some of the most faithful people I've ever been around. Skip and Donna Euler. She handles all of our administrative things in the back. And Skip's the nicest guy ever to walk the planet, including Jesus. Skip has never walked into a room and flipped over tables, guaranteed. Never. Never. He's the nicest guy I've ever met. And he's so faithful here, even through. Cancer and all kinds of things. He's been faithful, faithful, faithful. Got him Joe Hatcher. He's been running our our uh, safety team. He's, he's three bronze stars. Who doesn't want to, that guy to run your safety team? Faithful and generous. Heather Heather Dunham and Adam Dunham. Heather's been running uh, this year. Started running our uh, kids ministry in the back. She's a volunteer. And and I know they hate it when they when I say this, but I know them personally, really personally, and they are. I think they are the most generous people I know. Hands down. No complaints. A lady named Jessica Cody who's taken over um, our connect groups. I sat down with her for the first time and I said, uh, can you keep a schedule? She said, oh yeah, I can keep a schedule. I said, good, because I can't. I said I said it'll be a week before we're supposed to do it I'll go, Oh my goodness, we totally forgot about it. There's a guy in the back who's been been here probably pushing on ten years. And he's not doing that. <laughs> His name's Brendan Farrell comes to all of our staff meetings and he's got a massive amount of input and he taught me something one time. He said, Chris, when God asked me to do something, I say yes you can give a little more sound. Then there's guys on our board, Tim Williams, Jeff Welch, Skip Euler, Mark Davis, Ron Fry, my father in law all, all these guys are faithful, 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 faithful people. I've seen them walk through sickness and disease. I've seen a guy like Mark Davis have traumatic things happen in his family and show up for church every week and worship God and be faithful and continue to serve and continue to serve and continue to serve. And, to serve. and it blows me away. These guys are better than me. When it comes to building the building, guys come to mind like Jamie Yates and Bill Quartermatch and Mike and I who I met about six months ago who I tell, that's the nicest contractor I've ever met. Jamie knows things I'll never know. Bill has managed amounts of people that I'll never manage and Mike shows up and he has a vertebrae fused together in his neck four weeks before we start the project and he comes out, puts his tool belt on and gets on the roof every day and I'm like they're better. And so, so as the stage at the church gets bigger, the people have to be, more people have to be on it. And so what I'm asking you to do is never be threatened by somebody else's gift. If they're better than you, God put them there for a reason. Let them shy. Encourage them. And so I'm going to leave you with this. Paul says, when he writes to the Romans, in Romans chapter 12, he says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, But rather think of yourselves with sober judgment according with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we through through, though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts, and according to the grace given to each of us, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then do it diligent, diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And what I want to tell you this morning as we close is that God has gifted you in a unique way. And as the church grows, my prayer and my prayer my biggest ask of God is Lord raise people up to do what I'm terrible at what we're terrible at That you're great at something God has put in you and so let him build that up and use it for his glory and the kingdom grows and it grows and it grows and when the lights come on everybody's on the stage And God receives the glory. Father, we thank you this morning, your goodness goodness to us. is overwhelming. Your gifts to us are more than we can contain. And we ask you to use us in your glory. We ask you to give us the confidence to carry people with us and encourage them along the way. Thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. We'll see you back here next week.